Hi there, welcome to the Freudcast. When times are difficult, it's easy to get lost in the here and now and not see the bigger picture. With the pandemic continuing to dominate many of our lives, the discussion about black lives may feel like it's fallen down the agenda. Visual artist Asiko has a unique perspective on this. He has a British and a Nigerian background. He answers to two different names. He's lived unaware of his skin colour and all too aware of it. The Freudcast caught up with him to reflect on the previous 12 months where he portrayed the world-changing events we've all lived through. It feels like there's been there's been this great storm of things just going on from Black Lives Matter to, you know, the pandemic to, you know, what was happening in Nigeria. Uh, but also I, I have, because of the pandemic at the beginning of this, it's made me find peace in the, mid, in the midst of the storm. Um, so it's been quite a, a great time for growth but it's also been quite challenging with all I've experienced and seen and heard. And um, I guess in just the space I'm, I'm living in, in terms of news cycles, in terms of social media, you know, what I'm digesting, and also trying to be careful what I'm digesting. But nonetheless, all of this comes at you. Um, so it's been, it's been, I guess good and bad, uh, but I'm, I've been thankful for, it's been a good year in terms of my career, in terms of growth. Um, and I, I've enjoyed the ride, although turbulent. Do you think it sounds like actually the way you're talking that, that this makes people reflect on whether they are a natural optimist or a pessimist? So do you think it's proved to you, it sounds like, you're more of an optimistic persuasion. <laughs> you know, it's funny you would say um, I'm more of an optimist persuasion because I, I, I think I'm actually naturally a pessimist, uh, <laughs> okay. which, which is quite interesting. But I think this year, it definitely makes us think uh, in terms of whether we're optimists or pessimists and how we view the world. I think it's been one of those years that has caused everybody, even if we move at you know a million miles an hour, it's caused us to stop and be a bit more introspective and take time to, you know, figure things out. You know, where are we going? What are we doing with in in our lives? Well, it's made me think that way anyway. Um, and I, I think even though I'm a pessimist, um, so. Um, I'm quite fortunate. My wife is an optimist. So in some way, she balances me and helps me um, be more optimistic or helps me see things from a different perspective. Um, but I think maybe it's the pandemic as well that's made me just stop and just um, pause and breathe uh, before I jump into anything. And, and it's made me look at the good side of things or the brighter side of things. Because, you know, in that, in, you know, I, I view the pandemic as a pressure cooker. It, it, it very much felt like that. And with all the things that happened in the world, it definitely was some sort of pressure cooker. You know, things that wouldn't have escalated as much, they, they really did escalate because of, you know, we were all at home. You know, there was this whole looming thing of the, pan, um, of the coronavirus threat. 
um, it caused things to be a bit more heightened. Um, but in the midst of that, finding that calm and peace for your own sanity, I think for me, has been a blessing. I'm really interested. Can I call you Addy? Because yeah, of course, as Seiko is your artist's name. Actually, yeah. let's just let's just ask about that. Because when did you decide to take on the persona of a Seiko for your artwork? Um, it, it's I just it's it's quite interesting. It's not going to be one of those um, profound um, moments in time. Um, I was starting out as a photographer a, a really long time ago, maybe about 10 years ago, and I started taking photographs. And the word Asiko resonated with me because it meant the moment. And, you know, when I was taking photographs back then, I was looking for those poignant moments in time. And I was, you know, looking at freezing time and, you know, t- capturing a moment in time that you couldn't ever get back. Um, and so that name was worked and it made a lot of sense and it's a beautiful name and it's from, um, my Yoruba language. So in my Yoruba language, you know, the word Asiko means time. It means the moment. Um, now my work's taken on a different trajectory over the years where I'm now creating those moments or I'm creating an idea uh, which which I'm freezing through photography. So uh, what I'm doing is taking an idea, fleshing it out, creating a scene or creating an idea and a concept and then photographing it. So photography comes in, I guess, at the latter end of the artistic creative process. Does it help to have a name, like a nom de plume, I suppose, that, that you... To say hide behind is that is the wrong thing, but to mm. to use so it's it's not you putting yourself out there, but it's a Seiko the artist separate from Addy the man. Hmm, that's interesting. I think the way things have worked out for me is um, a Seiko is very much part of who I am. So it, in in a way, it's not. It's, it's not that I'm hiding behind that, um, uh, is the word, um, I guess, uh, persona. Asiko is very much me. So if uh, people got onto my Instagram, you know, I'm speaking from a place of truth, a, a place of who I am, a place of, you know, some of the things that challenge me as a person, um, some of the things that I'm inspired by. Um, so I, I feel Asiko is very much part of who Ade is, and they're one and the same. Um, I don't really separate them because, you know, some people talk about brands or, or things like that. I can't really have Asiko. It's very hard for a person like me to separate them, essentially. They are, Asiko and Ade are very much the same person. The, the genesis for the question was because when Maradona died not too long ago, people were talking about him almost as if if he was two people. They talked about Diego being shy and being down to earth. uh, But Maradona, and he said it himself, Maradona was the character, was the person that the public owned, was the footballing icon, almost like they were two different people. And from his perspective, you can kind of understand why he needed that. Yeah, Uh, And that's why I wondered if it was a similar... 
approach uh, to you, sort of keeping the art slightly separate from the, the personal life, I suppose? Yeah, I think it would be, I think the kind of person I am, it would actually be quite hard to do that because art very much flows within my life. It very much is part of my life. Um, uh, you know, my trajectory as a person, um, the artwork, you know, I'm exploring my culture and my heritage. I'm getting to know more and more what it is to be a Nigerian and more, more especially a Yoruba man in London, in the space I live in. So that journey also feeds into the artwork. So I wouldn't even know how to really separate them. They are, they are one and the same. I, I think it would be hard for me to be that person that can separate them and say, look, this is a sequel. You know, the work comes home with me. You know, it, when I leave the studio, the work comes home with me because I'm creating or I'm thinking or I'm talking to my wife about ideas I have. So it is, yeah, I think it would be hard for me to separate them. I'm also interested, Addy, in how, how your upbringing has informed your perspective of the UK because we've talked about it before. You spent mm. sort of an almost equal amount of time growing up in London and then also growing up in, in Nigeria and then having come back to London. Uh, and settling down here. Mm -hmm. um, how has that informed your view of the way Britain um, deals with what are clearly issues it has as a country around race? Mm. Yeah. The that, big question. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big question. Um, I think living in Nigeria and uh, being a Nigerian has given me a strong sense of identity. Uh, but so I've spent more time actually living in the UK now uh, than living in Nigeria. I moved here when I was about 16, 17, but I'd already lived in the UK when I was for about a year or two before moving back to Nigeria. But in total, I've lived more here um, than I have lived in Nigeria. But I think, uh, you know, that those formative years of living in Nigeria has given really given me a sense of who I am. And I didn't really know it till I moved here. I was just going, you know, you're just going along life, just thinking, just um, doing what you need to do, you know, education and just, I guess, being a teenager. Um, but when I moved here, I think there was a shock reality of one, getting to know that I am black because, you know, I lived in a country where everyone was black. So it's a very, very different paradigm. But moving here, finding out that, oh, I'm black, and then trying to get to understand what blackness is, because, you know, the UK is filled with loads of different uh, ethnicities in terms of even blackness. You know, there are people from Angola, there are people from Nigeria, Ghana, so they are all these different, and then there's the Caribbean as well. And so I'd never really met a lot of these different uh, ethnicities. So understanding so in connecting with them, I started to find out what black was. Um, but I think uh, a big challenge was was just how uh, people treated me when I moved here. And I felt quite foreign. Um, you know, the schools, the schools I went to were in South London and they were they, they were mixed. Um, but then at some time we we moved to Kent. And, you know, I think myself and a friend 
were the only black people in the school. And so it was quite challenging, um, you know, because we were treated differently, you know, uh, people would call us names. And I think it was quite a challenging time, but I was fortunate that I had um, my Nigerian heritage to to kind of prop me up uh, when times got tough or when, you know, th- th- there were times where people were, you know, um, like in one of these instances, we were, uh, we, you know, we got into fights and, you know, I, I was, there were only two of us and there was a mob. Um, we were quite fortunate. Uh, our principal had kind of got wind of it and he stepped in uh, to protect so uh, instances like that made me, um, it, it, I found them quite challenging. And okay. you know, these are things that I'm addressing in the work, some of the work that I'm um, currently working on right now. I'm gonna, I just want to explore that theme a little bit more because mm-hmm. I think this year, whoever we are, if we are wise to what's been going on, and frankly, how could you ignore Black Lives Matter and yeah. what happened to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and sad to say the dozens and dozens of others uh, who have been hurt or killed, not just in the US but mm. in the Western world really. Um, yeah. There's people obviously in the UK as well that perhaps aren't widely as known about as they should. But it's given us all cause if we are open to it to reflect on what our race means and i'm really interested in the idea of obviously having grown up in nigeria where black people are in the vast majority that it just doesn't blackness is not discussed or mm. even considered do you recognize that some white people then from your perspective are starting to question what whiteness is and how that impacts mm. on people who, on people who are different to them i would hope so um, I've seen a shift, um, even with people who didn't fully understand. You know, I, in certain places I've worked um, in in my previous careers, where working in the pharmaceutical industry, I remembered having conversations about whiteness and white privilege with um, a colleague of mine, who, um, and and he really didn't understand it, and he really didn't think there was anything like that. Uh, but lately, we, we've kind of reconnected, and he's getting a sense of it that there is this underlying um, challenge sometimes in our societies. And I guess the idea of, um, I think people are becoming more empathetic to uh, the plight of black people and what black people go through, and it makes them look at, you know, what. I guess the sense of privilege in some instances that they might have, and it's not an easy conversation to have. You know, I don't find it easy, um, but sometimes I think it's necessary to have a better, inclusive society. Um, I, I think um, Black Lives Matter. What happened this uh, May and through the summer is a step in the right direction, and I think people are you know, really waking up to some of the challenges of our institutions and what has been, you know, ingrained in our societies. And for I'm for one, I, I for one am thankful that we are having these conversations. 
you know, the, the work I created uh, um, recently, which um, we had a conversation um, about in September um, concerning a black life. And it was looking at the idea of a black life and some of the challenges representing those conceptually. What, what are some of these challenges? And I know it's it's brought up a lot of conversations with some some of my uh, white friends and even some of my black friends uh, to reflect on, I guess, what it's like living as a black man in a in a predominantly white country. And I think those conversations are really important for the growth of all of us, for black people and white people. But it's to understand that we. We act together, and if you know me and you can really see me or you can see um, the black race, you really become empathetic and in, in, in a way we can work together to make a better, I- inclusive society. And the reason I'm talking to you about it is because you've uh, addressed it in your artwork. I think it's important to set that context because I'm acutely aware that some people think we should just talk it talk about it to someone just because they're black and that really isn't necessarily reason enough talk mm-hmm. to plenty of black people who are quite frankly exhausted by having to talk about it yep. because because it comes with that subtext that it's somehow their problem to sort out when clearly it's mm-hmm. everybody's problem to sort out but in the context of you being an artist and you've addressed it in your art and let's talk about that because Look, I know certain themes have developed in your artwork and the photography you've taken over the years, but this year with A Black Life, with I Can't Breathe, with The Fear Within, not only have you addressed the issues of the year, but you've placed yourself in those images. And we will share them, by the way, on mm. on Freud's own Instagram so people can see what we're talking about. But that felt like a bit of a leap for you. You're in the imagery. You're mm. addressing the bigger issues and they're they're uncomfortable to look at because of the subject matter. Yeah, yeah. As you've mentioned, it's not something I usually do. Um, I, you know, I, I started off creating self portraits when I started actually making uh, images, and when I started to think more introspectively and more conceptually. It was then I started to create self-portraits, but I hadn't done it for a while, um, at least about five or so years. Um, but when this whole thing hit, I was watching, um, you know, the um, the video cam um, from mobile phones uh, when George Floyd was being killed. You know, his last, you know, nine minutes, and you know, yeah. the body cam as well, and. It was just really harrowing, and um, and then with all the other imagery going on, it was just so much at that time to just take it all in. And I probably shouldn't have watched as much as I I did, but also I think it was good that I did because I live in the UK, and the UK's challenges with racism are, are, are different to America's. Um, but, you know, for me, the black race, uh, we are one race. And, you know, our challenges and our backgrounds might be different, but we have that commonality that we came from Africa. Um, so for me, it was, you know, after watching all of that and, you know, with my issues with what had happened to me in the UK when I first moved here as well, 
and what I face from time to time, it was, I just felt really compelled to make that work. And then I felt really compelled to put myself in the midst of it. It was uncomfortable. It was challenging. You know, I, I went to go and hire a studio to shoot the work in. You know, one of the things I was doing was playing um, um, the kind of, I was playing a soundtrack to, or the soundtrack for the shoot when I was actually shooting was, you know, things that I collected from the internet, you know, when the, the time when George Floyd was being killed, um, you know, um, the, the riots, all of that stuff was playing in the background. So it was quite a strain on me mentally and physically. And, you know, when I create these self-portraits, I'm by myself. I can't do it with anyone else around, you know, uh, and I'm stripped down as well to, um, you know, there's that sense of vulnerability. So for me, I have to strip down and I have to be in a zone to create the work. And I, I, I found it, yeah, as, a, as I was saying, quite challenging. Um, but also, I think that there's, I'm, how can I put it? that there's a bit of a weight taken off my shoulders. And I think that's why I'm compelled to go and create that. It's my way of dealing and my way of coping with all the imagery and all the things that I've seen. And, you know, if you speak to a lot of Black people, especially during that time, I had friends who were going through a really challenging time as well. And, you know, people deal with it in very different ways and uh, it, it's, you know, some people can't cope. Some people don't have an outlet. And, you know, we had the pandemic as well, which was a bit of a pressure cooker. And then with that, it was just quite a lot. Um, but I'm fortunate that I use art to talk and I use art to deal. And that's what, you know, when we were talking initially where you said, you know, Seiko, is he separate? It's very hard to be separate because, the art is how I deal sometimes as a human being. So in that, it's very hard to separate that and have that as an entity onto itself. It's adding, you know, in those photos and it's his pain and his challenges. And from hearing what other black people are going through, hearing their challenges as well, bringing that into the artwork um, is very much where I was. With all that in mind, it's clearly been a turning point this year. But do you think the momentum will continue? Do you get a sense that the desire is there to make a lasting change? Or do you feel that people, uh, whoever they are, uh, are somehow exhausted by what has happened? Hmm. It's exhausting because um, it, this has been going on for I guess, how, however long I've, you know, been aware of it, it's been going on for years before that. You know, um, pe um, black men, black women being killed uh, or, or, you know, um, um, being arrested without, you know, any probable cause. Um, it, it's, it's been going on for a while. And, and I know black people are quite tired of it. I think there's a shift in the right direction but I think more could be done. Uh, I think more, I, I think also there's so much going on in the world as well, um, you know, with elections, with COVID, with Brexit, that sometimes uh, these 
issues to do with uh, racism and black people kind of get pushed to the side because sometimes it's like, well, what's the fire of the week? What fire are we fighting this week? Oh, Black Lives Matter. Okay, that's that's still in the back burner, but we need to deal with this and we need to deal with that. And I understand that this is the world we live in, um, but I feel more could be done. Um, and I know there are Black organizations really pushing to change the narrative and to start to uh, make people av- aware of what's going on. Um, but I think more could be done in 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 our societies uh, moving forward. But I think we are moving in the right direction. Every little step is a step forward. It might take longer, but I feel like things are moving forward. And, you know, hopefully when, when, when I have children and when they grow up, they'll be in a better world uh, that's more inclusive and more understanding of all our plights. I feel the same way. And look, at the time of recording, the pandemic looks like it's taken a shift because of vaccines coming on board. Mm. Black Lives Matter continues to be at the forefront of people's minds. And here in the UK, we've got the Brexit transition period coming to an end as as we record and people's focus would be on that. But let's let's look at 2021 and, and just finish off, Adi, by talking about how it how your work is going to continue or is it going to change again what the point of view is on that and what things you would like to see change I mean there's probably a long list as there would be for anybody mm. but what things you think might could should change uh, in the in the immediate sort of next few months Oof. wow Matt that's a wish, a it's a wish it? <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard question um One, I wish uh, Brexit goes well for the UK. I really do. Um, I I would love us to come out of this um, in a better place, in a a more, you you know, there's this whole thing about how the phoenix rises from the ashes. I know it's a bit optimistic or, or but that's how I feel I, I wish that things end up for us in the UK um, and that um, the narrative of Black Lives Matter especially the movement and the ideology of it we start to get a better we have a better sense of it and you know um, our schools in our schools, these things can be taught. It is. It becomes part of the fabric of our society, so we know, and then we understand. And it's not just taken for granted that you know um, uh, that this was not a big deal. It was actually a very big deal. So and then, let me just interrupt on that a bit. I, I, I heartily agree with you that my, my kids go to school and learn about. Black History during Black History Month, and mm. it's the same in the US and Canada. And you kind of think, I mean, is it fair to say that Black History Month seems like a bit outdated now? Oh. Black history should just be woven throughout history teaching, full stop. It's just our history, after all. I, I totally, totally agree. I, it is it is our history. Um, you know, over the years, I've had to rewrite history in my head and um, just looking, you know, it's, 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 you know, some of the people that came to Africa and colonized, there's a certain narrative that's been bred about them, but that is not uh, held in truth. 
um, when you look at the situation and you look at what's happened. So our history has to now be looked at uh, more critically. And in schools, we need to understand what happened during that period of time and how it's affected where we are right now. And I, Black History Month, I, you know, I, it's it's great that it exists, but it really has to be interwoven. It's, it, you know, I guess Black History Month shouldn't be just a once a, a once a year thing in October. It should be part of the fabric of our society, so we understand, and it's part of it, and we know. So, what, I, what, what about terms? What about sorry to interrupt that sure. again. Apologies. <laughs> What about terms like BAME or BAME? I mean, again, people are questioning whether those those shorthand ways of talking about not just one group of people, lots of groups of people under one umbrella, should we should look at whether we sh- should still continue using those? Well, that's not that's a hard one. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the most qualified person. I, I would say um, that. We, I think those groups are quite important right now because if they were not there, then there's nobody highlighting these issues of inclusivity. I think when we start to get to a place where our society is in a is in better shape to include everybody, then those then these groups and these um, I guess these organizations, they would, the idea is they would slowly um, not be needed anymore. But until that happens, until we have changed things in our society, I think those groups are important to highlight these things and to bring meaningful conversations uh, to, to the foreground, you know, so that in our governments and in our societies, we are having these conversations. So very much those groups are important. Um, but I, for one, look forward to a world where we don't have those, but they are needed now. It's like I remembered when I was in um, when I came to university in the UK, and we had a thing called the Afro Caribbean Society. So I just freshly come from Nigeria, so I was like, why do we have an Afro Caribbean Society? But after spending about a couple of years in the UK, it made sense because. Where is that space to celebrate us as a people? Because we're not celebrated, so we kind of have to do it ourselves. And that was why the Afro-Caribbean Society was put there. I didn't get it because I'm coming from a place where they're all black people, but living here, I understand it. And culturally, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Africa and the Caribbean are thousands of miles apart. It's almost like <laughs> yeah. it's almost like going to University of Nigeria and having an Anglo-Australian society. You would sort of say, well, "Hang on a minute, <laughs> just exactly. just because we're we're all white, you're going to put us all together." It seems <laughs> when you look at it from that perspective, it seems a bit un, well, a bit ridiculous. I yeah, yeah. I I, to- I I mean, I I totally understand that, and I think that was my challenge when I first heard about it. Uh, but living in the UK. I do understand where there is a need for that. We, you know, we we as uh, a black people have to celebrate ourselves, and we have to um, come together and move ourselves forward. So that's where some of these, and we have to use some of these platforms to be able to talk about some of the issues that we have. Um, it, you know, it's it's kind of a. In some ways, there, there is a bit of a mirror of what's going on in Nigeria. You know, Nigeria is facing police brutality 
against people and you know with the with how the police is and in that way we that you know they're now beginning to form groups in nigeria to be able to engage with the government and engage with uh people in power you have to have those groups um to be able to engage if not you it's hard to have a voice because yeah we can protest but then there's a there's a space where we have to come to the table to talk about these issues. And I think that's where these groups are there. They're there for representation. They're there to push these conversations that are pivotal and important forward. I get it. I, I get it. You need them until you no longer need them. And that's mm-hmm. hopefully the, the end goal. Yes. Uh, in terms of you as the artist, which direction are you heading in now? Are you going to continue to use yourself and your art? Are you going to continue to tackle these big questions? Mm. Or are you going to take a different tack for, for 2021? So one of the things I found interesting about 2020 is I had a lot of plans and those plans went out the window. So I, I, it's, it's interesting. I'm formulating my plans for 2021, but I'm also just being open to what's going to happen. Um, I, I, as, a, as an artist, I'm, I, I move and navigate things emotionally, but with a bit of intelligence. So sometimes it's about how I feel and what I want to create. One of the things that is really close to my heart right now is Nigeria and what's going on there. So I want to create some work about that. It's been quite hard to do that with the pandemic and, you know, social distancing and trying to create that work in the midst of it. Um, but that's that's one of the important things I, I, I definitely want to do. Um, I want to continue to celebrate my culture and celebrate Black people and, you know, uh, make them known in the space that I live in. So I will still continue along, I guess, along the trajectory that I am being uh, emotionally intelligent uh, with what I create and allowing my emotions to guide what I, what I do. Um, I wouldn't say I'm very agenda-driven, um, but I do have some plans, but I'm also open to being fluid. And looking forward to just creating some great stuff. There, there's something I've been thinking about, you know, the space of women in, you know, the British society and also the space of black women in British society. That's another thing that I've been thinking about because whenever I look at the food chain, I find black women are at the bottom uh, of, of, of the ladder. So I want to, you know, talk about that as well. But these are things that move me emotionally and I kind of go with that and create based on that. So we'll see how 2021 works. But I'm optimistic um, that things will work out and things will be in a better place for us as a people. Thanks to Asiko and thanks to you for listening as well. You can see his art on his Instagram account at Asiko underscore artist. You can find us on Inside Freud's. I'm Matt Barbet. Thanks for listening. Uh-huh.